Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Overtime. Overtime is our weekly production, our weekly podcast, where we get to do a little bit deeper dive of what we talked about over the weekend services at the Christian Life Center. Um, we're so glad that you're joining us with us, whether you're listening to this via podcast after the day that we're recording it, or if you're listening to us live on uh, April 28th, 2020. Uh, so glad that you're joining us with us. My name is Ben. For those of you we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors there, and I'm joined by Gary. Want to say what's hey, up, Gary? My name's Gary, and it's great to be here with you. We're in the book of Philippians now, so that's fun. Yeah, and we are coming to you live from our homes. So this right. is, hopefully technology is working well. We think we've got all the kinks kind of worked out. Uh, for a little while, we had to actually record this before we went live, but I think that we figured out how to go live now. So you might hear dogs barking. You might hear children <laughs> running around. You might hear doorbells. Who knows? You you might just hear a lot of fun stuff. It's that's right. So. So welcome into our houses. We're glad to have you here. So We are. So yeah, so I'm excited. This past weekend, we started a brand new series uh, about Philippians, and I want to kind of jump into that and just kind of pick your brain. It's a four-week series that we're going to be going into. But before we do that, we just wanted to let you know there are a couple different things that we, we try and keep uh, or give your attention to uh, as we start a production. Um, before COVID-19 and all of the things that have happened with that, we used to give you all the different events that were happening. Well, now with COVID, that's kind of really impacted things and a lot of different other things um, are, are closed for this current season. So what we do wanted to just throw out there and mention to you is that if you have a need or you're struggling with something, please, by all means, please, please, please feel free to reach out to the church. If it's something that we can help with, even if it's not something that we can help with, like if you would just like support, then we'd love to be able to be there for you. So for any need that you might have or anybody that you know that has a need, please don't be afraid to contact us. You can call the office at 610-869-2140, or you can contact us at info at clcfamily.church, or, I mean, any way that you know to get in contact with us, you can do that. So we would love to hear from you if you have any needs, if you have any requests, and we'll, we want to be a part of that as we can. We will keep you up to date kind of towards the end of April. There are a lot of conversations happening now about how do we start to reopen and what that looks like. We are just going to be figuring that out really with the rest of the United States and we will be communicating yeah. as much as we can um, as we kind of figure that out as we listen to the health officials and advisors and people that are smarter than us or at least make more money than us I'm not sure um, so stay with us stay tuned we will let you know so that's kind of all the announcements that we have I do want to jump into this content and um, maybe before I ask any questions uh, Gary, do you just kind of want to give us a, a heads up of what we talked about this past weekend and as we started this new Philippians series? Sure, absolutely. So what we're doing is we're basically taking Philippians a book a week. And so um, last week we were in chapter one. We're moving now into chapter two. That's our smoke alarm. That always goes off when somebody is um, actually cooking here. Yeah, so, anyway. Usually that means I'm cooking. So that, that's, <laughs> that's what it means. I'm, me just, too, yeah. I'm just glad that it goes off for somebody else too, because it usually just means my food's done. <laughs> that's what it means for us too here. So, uh, so anyway, um, so the reality is that um, then we'll be in chapter three um, in the third week and then finally chapter four. And, um, and the book of Philippians is actually a really beautiful writing of Paul, where he, um, he really explores the Christian life and encourages us in this life in Christ. And so um, I was able to look at Philippians chapter uh, 1, and we basically dealt with um, verses 1 through 11. So we only got the first part of it. And one thing I was going to say is that um, you may find that a certain um, 
person who's speaking is covering the whole chapter. But I would encourage you to actually go back and just read the whole first chapter of Philippians and then do the same thing so that if the preacher is not covering the whole chapter, it's good to get the whole context of what's happening. So so anyway, we're in Philippians chapter one this last week. Yeah, so I think that's really good advice. And I think as we start, I, I love the book of Philippians. Like there's just so many, not that there's like a good verse and bad verse, but there's so many, I'll say coffee cup, like Christian coffee cup like yeah. verses that we get from this book because there's just a lot of encouragement. And even in Paul's writing, like a lot of times as Paul wrote, he, he was, you know, Paul, it was Saul who changed to Paul and, and he wrote most of the New Testament or at least half it's believed. Uh, like th- this book is a little bit different because while he's usually correcting and kind of uh, disciplining churches, this book, it's more of a insincere love and not necessarily correcting or disciplining, but just kind of sharing with where he's at and just the love and what God is doing. And it's just, a, it's a little bit of a different style book. It's also one of, as you talked about on Sunday, one of his prison epistles. It's one of the ones yeah. that he wrote while he was under house arrest. And so I think that there's so much going on here that I'm really excited. And I would only echo what you've already said is that if you are watching this series or you're listening to us on Sunday mornings, man, please, please, please go back and read the entire chapter as, as I'm preparing for like week four, I get chapter four and I'm excited for that. But even that there's so much content that I don't know how to be able to do all of chapter four. So to echo what Gary said, man, please read it. Um, look at it in context, see how Paul is talking to the church in Philippi. Uh, and I think that you'll really be encouraged and blessed as you do that. So yeah, amen. Um, just wanted to mention that. So yeah, let's kind of do a deeper dive into that. So um, one of the things that you said is that from this book uh, of Philippians, what we wanted to do was glean what God wants us to learn, what he wants us to hear and the ways that he wants us to grow through this book. So uh, I, I guess one of the questions um, that I was thinking as I, I hear that, what, what, and I, I feel like I've already kind of answered this, what sets Philippians apart from maybe another book or a different letter like the Pauline epistles? Because Paul wrote a lot. Why, right. why does this one become so different or feel different, I guess? Yeah, so I think, I think part of the reason that it feels different is because Paul is writing out of a, a real sense of gratitude that the Philippians have actually... Um, they've actually sent Epaphroditus, which is somebody I didn't even mention in the ser- in the sermon, but basically Epaphroditus has carried this gift of money um, to take care of Paul. And so one of the right. things that was true in that time was that if you were in prison, um, they didn't pr- provide you with food. In fact, mm. um, it was an interesting thing. We um, We had a chance to go to Rome and look at where they think Peter and Paul were held in prison at in okay. Rome. And um, now, at this point, Paul's not in Rome. He's actually probably in Ephesus in prison, but he's on his way to Rome because he's announced that he's a Roman citizen, and that means that he actually gets to present his case before the emperor. So that's a really big part of what's happening here. Um, but in this Roman prison, um, there was sort of a rock floor, and then um, and then there was this big hole about the size of a manhole um, in the middle of the floor. And what they did was they would actually drop the prisoner through that hole, they would go down about 20 feet and they would hit the rock floor. Mm. And a lot of times they'd actually break their legs. Mm. And so there was a lot of stuff going on. But one of the things that didn't happen was they didn't have anybody that was coming. Like the the Roman guards did not feed the prisoners. If they Mm. were going to get food, they had to get it from the outside. So this gift 
from the Philippian church to Paul or this gift that's being brought to Philippi to aid Paul um, is a big thing. And so he just wants to say, oh, I'm just so grateful for that gift. So that frames a lot of the rejoicing, thanksgiving, all these different parts of the letter. Yeah. And there's there's this camaraderie, not that Paul didn't have that in his other teachings, but, right. but there's a there's a longing and a loving relationship. And, and you had even talked about Acts 16 is where we first kind of see this is Paul's missionary journey to yeah. there and talk about Lydia and how she was uh, a seller of uh, purple uh, linen. And so purple being kind of uh, rare in that sense. And we just believe that she was a person of wealth and 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 authority, maybe yeah. like she because of her position and what she did, she was a person that had authority and power, maybe even influence. And so I, I feel like there's just so many things that even as you set up this book, as you start looking at these first chapters, there's so much going on within that. Um, and Paul's missionary journeys, like one of the things that he generally did is he traveled to major like cities, right? Like he didn't just kind of stay on the outskirts of cities, but he wanted to go to the very heart of these booming cities and these uh, metropolitan areas, if you will. Maybe metropolitan isn't the right word, but these uh, places that were of significance and importance. And Philippi was exactly that, correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So, so one of, of the things, it was, no, more, it was more like a, it had been taken over by the Romans at one point, um, it was started by a guy named Philip, Philip of Macedon, and he um, he actually created it into um, a really sort of metropolitan area. And one of the things that happened in Philippi was that um, it became a thoroughfare actually to the eastern end of Rome. And so, mm. so there was a sense of it being pretty central and um, taking on even more importance. So what what started yeah. out as sort of a smaller city ended up being you know a bigger city later. And so. So that was a really cool thing as well. Yeah, so like almost a center of commerce or at least a, a, a flow through as you, as you just kind of mentioned. So yeah, um, one of the things that you had said early in the beginning, like as we started looking at uh, verse one, actually, let me jump. I was just kind of looking at my notes here. Um, it, you had said that uh, Philippi was a historical city. Is that what you meant by kind of just the Romans, how they didn't establish it, but Philip did, and then it became the center of commerce? Was that what you meant by historical? Yeah, pretty much. And so, okay. you know, one of the things that um, it had been um, established by Philip um, the second of Macedon, and his father actually was Alexander the Great. And so, mm. you know, so okay. it's just, it's interesting. I mean, this is sort of a conquering group, right? Yeah. And um, so that was why Philip actually named Philippi after himself. And then there was actually a Roman victory in um, 168 BC, and that's when it became a part of the Roman Empire. And okay. so, again, um, where it was situated, it made it one of the main stations along the main overland route, which connected Rome with the east. And that okay. was part of its importance in doing that. Hmm. Um, it's interesting, too, that um, Lydia actually is known as the one who sold, um, you know, this purple cloth, like you said, the purple linen. Right. And... Um, but it's interesting, too, because um, part of the reason that they felt that this actually pointed to her um, being maybe more wealthy was the fact that this purple dye at that point came actually out of a kind of shellfish. And so what okay. they would do is they would harvest these shellfish. And I'm not sure if it was oysters or exactly what the shellfish was, but then they would extract that dye 
and then it was used for um, clothing. And because purple was a rare color, um, it did take a lot of wealth to be able to do that. And so mm. part of what was happening here was that Paul is also, um, he's really saying, you know, there's a partnership that we have here. And that right. partnership included the men and the women in Philippi who were all trying to bring the gospel to bear. And so one of the things that he's talking about is that there was this side-by-side um, way that they partnered together. They worked yeah. together on things. And so um, it was not just in sort of taking care of people like Paul, but also in the proclamation of the gospel. So one of the interesting things about Lydia is that she actually um, becomes, she has a house church in her house. Yeah. And so there's a small gathering of believers that meet in her house and they um, and they worship together and study together and all that kind of thing. And so it's sort of a cool story. And that's all found in Acts chapter 16 yeah. as we get introduced. Now, so what's happening is Luke and Acts is giving us some of the background for what's going to happen and what we're going to see now in the book of, Phil- of um, Philippians as well. Yeah. And one of the things also, before we get into verse one, you had said that Philippians captures Paul's joy, which, which is interesting because if, if you've been listening and you, you know that this is one of the prison epistles, when you think of prison, you don't necessarily think of joy. Right. And so as this letter is being written, which turns into the book of Philippians, like it's amazing to see Paul's joy in the midst of his circumstances. And even as we get into the verses, how that's brought about good. And it really, for me, it challenges me the way that I live my life. It brings glory to God in everything that I do. And I'm sorry, you might be hearing my dog who's staring at the front windows whining. <laughs> wanting to get out. So sorry about that. Um, yeah, that's okay. So you had talked about the last thing and then I promise we'll get into, I think that we'll, maybe I promise uh, we'll get into verse <laughs> one, but you, you had said as we started that there was this ancient letter form that Philippians kind of follow suit with. I, I was just curious, like for my own individual thoughts, like what did that, like, can you go a little bit deeper into what did that ancient letter form look like? Yeah, so there was um there one of the things that you have when you read the Bible is that there are certain ways that things are portrayed. And so um for example, when you look at um the book of Psalms and you look at a lament, well there was actually a kind of form that a lament followed. And so one of the things that this is helpful for is it's helpful for our interpretation because when you start to learn what the form of it is and how it works, then you start to understand what it, how it happens. And so one of the forms that Paul used, but he also really Christianized it, was that he took this ancient letter form, which always included um, you know, a sense of who was writing the letter, who it was being written to, and then some kind of salutation or greeting. And so he took okay. that, but he totally Christianized it and yeah. made it even more. So one of the points in this um, sermon that I thought was helpful was that, you know, when we read Paul's letters, we go, oh, yeah, that's how Paul always starts his letters. But if you were one of the Philippians, and you were reading that letter, you'd say, wow, this is, you know, unusual. This is mm. this is capturing my my attention. And it's also helping me to realize what this life in Christ is supposed to be be looking okay. like. So so Paul uses that in a really good way. Yeah, the way that you spoke it um, over the weekend, you said the whole of life has changed by Christ. And I thought that was good. Like, I think that even our relationship with Christ should change the way that we write in our literature. It doesn't necessarily change the format, but it changes the way of 
the way that we go about that. So I right. thought that that was good. Um, and, and you did kind of already speak to this a little bit. You spoke to this on Sunday and, and showing kind of lifting up Lydia. Um, this kind of shows that within Christ, like there, there's an equality there. It's not about, you know, men are more superior because that's what culture would have dictated at right. that time that men were more important than women. But, but this Philippa, uh, Philippians church or this church in Philippi is actually was started by Lydia. And so it's, there's yeah. an equality there that I think it's important to see in that as yeah. you start that there and was no master, but Jesus Right. And, and then we get into slave, but please go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I think it's actually, it's actually believed that Lydia was probably the pastor of that church, which is interesting mm. also. So that's awesome. So again, but again, you know, what's happening is the Holy Spirit's been poured out, right? And so yeah. they're beginning now to actually practice and, and put to use their gifts of the Spirit. And so, um, so God is working in them and through them. And that's really exciting as well. So, yeah, yeah. So I want to kind of jump into the text, and it starts off um, right away. Like, let me see where this is. So Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. You, you had mentioned that that word also there translates not just servants, but slaves. Correct. And right away, like that, the second that you hear the word slave— for many, it gives kind of a negative connotation to, right? Like you go, yeah. slave, ooh, why would you identify as that? Slavery is wrong. Like we we believe that slavery still exists today, but we want to do everything that we can to abolish that. And so for us, for Paul, he, he viewed himself as a slave. And you talked a little bit about this on, on over the weekend. And so I just wanted to revisit this and then maybe even ask the question, further the question, well, well how do we reconcile that today? Like, I don't think that many people would want to identify themselves and go, well, I'm a slave to Christ. Like even right. that just seems weird as you're talking about it. But what is, what is Paul getting at when he uses the word slave there? Like, and, and how does that impact the life of a believer, not just for Paul, but for us today as well? Can you speak yeah. to that a little bit? Sure. I'd be glad to. So I, I think that, you know, a lot of times our understanding of slavery you know, does come from, um, you know, what we've experienced here in the, in the United right. States and, right. you know, definitely a negative thing. And I agree with you. Like there's a lot of groups that are, you know, they're trying to abolish slavery yeah. across the world and, right. and they should, I mean, that's the right thing to do. Um, but one of the things that Paul is actually, I think saying here is that in fact, it's interesting because um, the new revised standard version, which is what I used um, Sunday and Saturday um, actually says servants, but the, the word slave is actually the right, uh, right translation right. for that word. So Paul, I think what he's able to do is say, um, I'm here because I am a slave of this one master, Jesus Christ. And, and this is where God is leading me. Now, that's, that's an interesting thing to think about, because the reality is that, um, you know, who, who do we owe our devotion to? Who do we who do we say is the master of our lives? And so this whole idea of the um, Greek word kyrios, which actually means Lord, uh, would have been the equivalent of what a first century person would have called the slave owner. Mm -hmm. But Paul actually says, no, Jesus is Lord. So I am in bondage to him. Now, there's another, there's another point with this, and I don't know how far to push it, and I haven't done as much research, but um, there also was what they used to call um, 
a bond servant or a bond slave. Okay. A bond slave was actually somebody who had been freed as a slave, but they chose to stay and be connected to their master. Right, right. So it's also possible here that Paul is actually using more of that phrase bond okay. servant. Okay. And he's saying, he's saying, I know that I'm free in Christ. In fact, that's actually, it's interesting because for Paul, um, being a slave to Christ actually means he's freer than right. he would be if he wasn't. Right. Um, because part of it is, he, in fact, he could even say now, hey, I am serving Christ by being in jail. See, yeah. that's really, that's pretty uh, amazing. He can say, no, I'm here. I can rejoice because I know that what God wants for me is being worked out, even though I'm in prison right now. Right, right. And so um, so Paul is able to actually find a freedom by being a slave of Christ. Well, yeah. we always think of it as the opposite, you know. And even that, it's so ironic because he's a prisoner, but he's a yeah. free prisoner. Like, it, right. it doesn't make sense. Like, even his vernacular of going servant, like, wait, you're servant, but you're free. And yeah. you're in prison, but you're free. And I think that that, I do think that on some level, this is, for us to understand, like, I think that all I have is almost a negative connotation to slavery. But I think the reality is, is that in the time that this was written, there was good, good slave masters and there was bad slave masters. And that right. bond servant that you referred to, uh, if you were a poor person and you had no means of being able to, maybe you couldn't work a, a trade or a craft or you weren't the best in the, that field, but you uh, you could kind of find yourself in service to somebody, a good master would provide everything that you needed. He would provide housing, he would provide food, he would provide shelter, he would provide purpose, he would provide love and significance. Like, And so I think that even that in my study as I've done you know, things. And I, I think at one point, if I remember correctly, I think I read something that said uh, maybe up to half of Rome as a whole was slaves. Like yeah. slavery existed pretty significantly across the world at that point. And Rome itself was up to half of the population was actually slaves, which yeah. is crazy to think about. But but I think that if we can understand it, and again, not that we're endorsing slavery, but I think a good master, which obviously our Heavenly Father falls under the category of a good Lord, a good master. Right. Like to a good master, a slave wasn't necessarily negative. It wasn't a bad thing because if you had a good master, your master would provide everything that you need, which is the word Lord or Adonai, right? Like, or uh, Adam, I think was right. the, the correct word for Lord, if I'm remembering that correctly. So I just think that that helps shape the narrative for me and my understanding, as Paul says, a slave or a servant, it's not as necessarily a negative connotation that we think of, but we can kind of see that there's a difference there. So, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, okay, we're at verse one and we're about halfway done. <laughs> I think, I think that we'll pick up here. We'll speed up a little bit. Um, one of the things that you had said also, even not even getting out of verse one, is that you said that grace always precedes peace. And I, I thought yeah. that that was a really good statement that I wanted to dive a little bit further into. Like, what do you mean by that? And what, is, what does that mean for us today? So that grace always precedes peace. What, what do you mean? Yeah, so it's part of his salutation. So again, this is back to the letter form. You know, he says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I was in a Bible study. Gosh, Ben, it was probably, you know, 
probably 35, 40 years ago. So <laughs> it sort of dates me. Um, but the reality was in this Bible study, this one pastor just said that. He just said, you know, that grace always precedes peace. And so what he was talking about is when we experience God's peace or God's grace, that that then issues into our lives a sense of peace because the grace is what redeems us and buys us back and brings us into right relationship with God. And the result of that is peace. And so I think that that's just important for us to understand and to think. And, and I love the fact that Paul always has that salutation in his letter, you know, that he always starts off by saying grace to you and peace. And he uses that the words there that remind us that, you know, it is by God's grace that we actually do have peace. So those are tied together in my mind. Yeah, uh, I think that's good. And then, and then you spent a little bit of time um, with this phrase, in Christ. Can you maybe explain or recap what you talked about? Like, as Paul uses this phrase, I think you said it was like 157 times in his writings or something yeah. like that? Yeah, it's like, like 100, 164 times he uses it over okay. and over and over and over. Yeah. So what so, is what does that mean? Yeah. So basically, when Paul and I, I don't want to be too technical. And actually, this is what I wrote my doctoral thesis on. So it's sort of interesting because I okay. part of what what it was was actually talking about how Christ comes to actually dwell within us. I I think um um the uh, Hillsong song um, that says you know. Um, and it's it's the ocean song, which was so popular for so long. But yeah. it says talks about you know um, I am yours and you are mine. And I think that that's exactly what Paul's mm. talking about when he starts to talk about being in Christ. The reality is Christ has taken up residence in the believer. Mm. But the other reality is that we actually take up residence in Christ, mm. so that our identity now is founded in being Christian, which you know that word meant little Christ. And so, um, so we are now, um, we're now in this whole new relationship with God and with Christ. And um, for Paul, this term in Christ is sort of a shorthand way of him saying, um, this is what the Christian life is all about. Like okay. that, that is, that is a pregnant phrase that's way okay. beyond, you know, our ability to totally comprehend. And again, it is used about 164 times. And that's yeah. only that's only the actual phrase in Christ. When you actually look at Paul using the phrase into Christ or other phrases like that, it goes up even more, like into the two mm. hundreds. Okay. So, wow. so this is a really, really important um, theological concept for Paul, and he's inviting us into understanding what that means. Yeah, I think that's good. That like that 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 paints a really good picture for me to go. Okay. There's so much more to unpack there. So I'm just going yeah. to use in Christ, which means that I belong to him. He belongs to like, I belong to him. He belongs to me like that. There's a fullness. So I think that that explains it pretty well, that it's a pregnant term. Yeah. Um, that there's just so much more backing there. And, and because I, I think that I've, as I've read through Philippians and what is it, maybe Colossians, like the, that yeah. phrase just shows up so many times. Um, and I, I think that's really good for us to understand and to know. Yeah. Uh, so kind of continuing on verses two through, I think it was 11 that we went through. Um, you had talked about being a saint. And, and, and so you had kind of said that we are saints. Like when we think of that, 
probably if we've got a, a Catholic background, we think of, you know, the saints, right? Like we don't think of ourselves yeah, as a saint, yeah. but we think of saints. So can you explain like even that, like you talked about like St. Saint, saint Mary, and I don't think you were, I think you're just putting people's names in there, not was, actually yeah. St. Mary, but like <laughs> talked about like, so St. Ben and St. Yeah. Gary yeah. and St. Christian and like, so what does that mean as we're looking through this, as we talk about that? Yeah. So the Catholic Church, you know, like, for example, um, the Catholic Church sort of canonized, um, you know, Mother Teresa, and yeah. they they declared that she was a saint. Well, in order to um, be recognized as a saint in the Catholic Church, you have to have had, you know, the Pope endorse you. Um, you had to have been able to prove that you performed one miracle. I mean, there's just different things that are sort of sort of their criteria. But right. Paul, Paul sort of takes all of that and he levels the playing field and he says, no, actually, any believer that is in Christ is actually a saint. Yeah. And, and here's where we get hung up, Ben. I think so the word saint, you know, means holy one. It means it's it's a word that has with it, you know, sort of a purity kind of principle. Um, but what happens is we always tend to um, we tend to um, define saints negatively, like in other mm -hmm. words. Um, and this is, I think, the crux of the matter for the Christian church is that we we tend to say, well, if you're a saint, that means you don't do certain things. Mm -hmm. And and so but that's only part of it. Like, it's true. Like there are certain things we don't do and there might be reasons we don't do them. Like, for example, we we know that gossip isn't a good thing. I mean, that's right. not mm -hmm. it's not a healthy thing for anybody. Um, we're learning to speak the truth and love to people. So we we try to, you know, not gossip, but rather actually have good, honest conversations with people. But but that's not totally what it's about. There's there's also this sense of not only being set apart from some things, but the wider view of, of um, is actually being set apart to certain things. Yeah. So that's what Paul is really hitting on here. Like, so there's an old phrase. I always hesitate to use this because I don't want it to be a sexist phrase, but there's a phrase that says, um, I don't um, smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. And so one of my um, professors would always say that, but what he was saying there was that we tend to always think about um, all the negatives. Like I don't do these things and that's what makes me a saint. Right, right. Um, the flip side of that though, is that we are saints, not because of anything we've done, but we're saints because right. of what Christ has done for us. Right, right. And so we're actually called we're called holy. Like when God looks at us, God doesn't see the sin and all the stuff that we've done wrong. God sees us as God's children that God deeply loves and, and sees us as holy people. So I, I think it'd be fun sometime, you know, and I, this is where I, I get off on it. In fact, I actually did this at um, a church plant I was doing one time. I, I actually made um, little plaques of all the people. We only had, you know, like a hundred people, so it wasn't too bad, but, um, but we had, the picture of the person and then saint and their name underneath it. And you should have seen people were like upset by that. They're like taking them down. They're like, I'm not a saint. I'm like, well, actually you are according See, to the Bible. I would, you know? I would have done the whole like hall of football hall of fame. Like I'd want yeah. bust of my head. Like, saint Ben. Like <laughs> yeah. And no, I just want really funny. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I, I just want to point out, I don't think your wife would care if uh, you went with a, girl that smoked or chewed or didn't or did not i don't think she would approve with you going in any other woman I'm that's i'm with you on that yeah <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> just a little uh, bit of fun in yeah. that so 
Yeah, I think that that's good because you're right. Like, I feel like we go, oh, no, I'm not worthy to be a saint. But but even that statement, you're right. There's nothing you could do to earn sainthood or not like sainthood in the sense of what the Catholic Church thinks. But you're right. We are people that are broken, that are flawed. But that's why we have a savior, because he, in his grace and his mercy, has made us whole. And we don't deserve it, yet Christ bestows that upon us. So I think that that's really good that's to, exactly to right. kind of point out there. So Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so as we jump in kind of a little bit further, I'm just kind of, I've wrote a ton of notes, and I always feel like in this moment, I'm always kind of going, okay, what do I bring up? What do I sure. What do I leave out? Like, I, I always think I, I put too much content in these because I just find myself talking, and I just love the, the conversation. So, um Again, I kind of put in my notes, joy for Paul while in prison. Um, and then I put God's power. Um, and uh, wait, what did I write? <laughs> uh, it, uh, talking about the gospel, you said, so God's power, um, it, by God's power, people are changed. And, and that is what the gospel is. It's not just good news. Um, and then you talked about a quote by Carl Barton said, joy, nevertheless, um, and it's a way of looking at life through faith. And so I, I didn't know if you wanted to spend any more time talking about that. Like, so perspective is, is I guess, the way that I would kind of define that. Like, Paul had a different perspective. Um, and, and in this first chapter of Philippians is probably my all-time favorite scripture verse. Um, like, it's the type of one that if, if I was going to get a tattoo, it would be of this. Um, and it says to live is Christ and to die is gain like that. That is a pretty amazing perspective. So I don't, I don't know if you want to kind of talk more about that perspective or even that idea to live as Christ and to die is gain. Like, I don't know. Is there any deeper part of that that you want to talk about either Paul's joy or his, his perspective and, and how he could pen something like to live as Christ and to die is gain? Yeah. Well, I think that, um, I think that's a big part for Paul. He, um, he is seeing his life as under Christ's control. I mean, it's not a life that he's just living, but God's actually living this life through him. And so, and there's a little bit of that happening with the Philippians too, because Paul values their partnership so much that he actually is sometimes experiencing the joy that he sees in the Philippian church, even though he's not there with them right now. And so, um, so for Paul, and, and the, the Karl Barth um, phrase was, uh, joy is a defiant nevertheless. And it, but I think for Paul, I, you know, joy is always a bit of a choice for, for us, right? Like, I mean, and that's the tough part too, right? Because we, um, you know, we have things that come our way. I mean, even right now with COVID-19, you know, we, we have a choice of, um, you know, either figuring out how we live into this time in meaningful ways or, you know, how we sort of don't like this time. And so, so joy is sort of one of those things that always um, presents itself to us. And so Paul, you know, he's very joyful for the gift they've given him. He's joyful that they're with him. Um, he's reminded of the fact that they're, um, they're thinking of him. Um, and for him, that's a real encouragement. But even in prison, Joe, Paul is feeling joy. And when we get to your sermon on, at the end of this, you know, um, the fourth chapter, we're going to hear all about how Paul was rejoicing and feeling a sense of God actually being there with them, even in the midst of being in prison right then. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I just to clarify, too, because I wanted to make sure uh, that one of my favorite verses, it's in 21, to live as Christ, to die is gain. He, we didn't specifically go over that this past week, but it's in this chapter. And so I think yep. this perspective of joy ties into everything that's there. So just for right. clarification, if you're sitting at home going, wait a minute, I don't remember hearing that scripture verse this past week, you, you would be right. We didn't right. specifically go over that. But I think that that goes to what Paul is talking about, that man, he can have this different perspective, that yep. he can have joy in the midst of suffering in the midst of being in in prison and this imprisonment imprisonment would ultimately i don't know when exactly i don't have a timeline maybe you can even speak to that gary but ultimately yeah. this imprisonment would lead to his death correct it will yes that's correct and so it, we know that this is this is a challenging time and and paul literally doesn't know what his future holds but he knows not to sound too charismatic but he knows his future's holder so yeah, he doesn't right. know what the future holds, but he knows his future's uh, knows his future holder. So right. it, it's it's amazing. So even that to live as Christ to die is gain. He's going, man. It's for for your benefit that I'm alive, and if I die, man, I get to be with Jesus, and that's, that's awesome. Right. So I just yeah. think that that's I think that's I think that's exactly the point. So for Paul, he's he he says, you know, he he's looking at his life and he's saying. There's these two options. So I'm I'm on my way to Rome at some point, uh, which is probably going to end in my death. Uh, but in the meantime, right. I'm alive and I can minister. And so right. part of what he's doing is he's saying, you know, to live as Christ. So while I'm alive, I'm going to make this message known in ways that everybody can see it and embrace it, and it can be a part of their life. And then and then he says, you know. And to die would be gain. In other words, like there's a part of me that actually does want to go and be with Jesus right now. And, right, right. and that would actually be easier. And maybe even, you know, I'd, I'd be in glory with God. And so, so Paul, you know, he, he doesn't, he's sort of torn there. And I think that makes sense because both of these things are good. Whatever it is that God wants for him, he's willing to do it. And so right, when right. he does finally get to Rome, he does end up getting martyred. And, um, and at that point, you know, he gets to enter into um, God's glory forever as well. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I've just always been challenged by by these verses there. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of looking over over my notes here. Uh, I feel like there, there's a ton of things that I, I didn't necessarily articulate a full thought, but just jotted down a lot of what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, and verses seven and eight, you talked about the overflow, the abounding. Um, he had more than enough, and it was part of that was the knowledge of Christ that you talked about. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe this, maybe you could talk about a little bit about what you said was the Hebrew mindset, and this was different at the time from the Greek thought process of how there's a separate, like the Hebrew mindset of being your head and your heart, kind of they work together, they're one and the same. And I'm pulling the scripture back up right now. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think it was it was between seven and ten. Uh, let me see if I can find where that is. Uh, well, I can speak to it. It's actually yeah, go verse ahead. nine. Yeah, yeah verse so, nine. So verse nine, you know, Paul says that, you know, yeah. my prayer is that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. And, right. And right. so um, it's an interesting thought that he has that um, because, again, and I said this in the sermon, but we don't often think about love that way. We think about love as feelings and you know, a passion for a person and all that kind of thing, the connectedness that we enjoy. But 
But here he says, I want your love to overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight. Yeah. And so um, in that, part of what he's talking about is um, that this kind of um, knowledge and full insight will actually um, dictate how we do love each other. And so what does it mean then to be able to to really love? And, and that's where I was talking about, like you said, Ben, that talking a little bit about um, the Hebrew um, way of looking at a person compared to the Greek way of looking at a person. And and Paul, you know, who is Hebrew, he has a Hebrew background. He um, he's not thinking in a Greek way when he thinks about this. In in the Greek world, a person was all divided up. Like the body was different, the head was different, the heart was different. Whatever the center of feelings was was different. The emotions were different. The Greeks sort of took everything, categorized it. Um, and made it so that you were still a person, but you had all these different centers of how things were thought through and done in your life. Whereas the Hebrew mindset was much more holistic. Um, there was a sense of the head and the body um, and the heart all being united. And so in the Hebrew concept, um, the emotions actually came out of your gut. That was how they viewed it. So it wasn't like your head was thinking one thing and your heart was feeling another thing. No, it was all much more united and more holistic in that sense. And um, and I think that that's part of what Paul's actually um, telling them to think about here, that, that when you begin to actually um, allow wisdom and insight to influence your love, then part of what happens is, and this is his, his goal for them, is that they will be able to discern and determine what is the right. best. Right. He right. wants them to be able to, and, and I think that's really, that's important for us too, because here's the deal. Um, there's a lot of really good things all the time, right? There's yeah. all kinds of good things going on. Um, but, but the question is, what's the best thing? And, and we deal with mm -hmm. this as a church even, right? I mean, you know, yeah. we're trying to always think about, hey, yeah, there's lots of opportunities. You know, yeah. right now during COVID-19, lots of groups are actually doing a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. But, but what we want to do is we want to think through. So what does that mean for us? And how do we join in with the best kinds of things that are happening rather than just having a bunch of busy work where we're always right. running around trying to do this and that, but we're really not accomplishing everything. So, so Paul is saying that actually love is founded in that kind of um, of knowledge and um, and discernment that yeah. that that's where true love comes. So so that's a different way of thinking about love than we often think about. Yeah, but, for sure. But it comes out of his Hebrew mindset and just that you know it, it's the center of the person that that that's where and I and I think this is good for us too because actually the center of us is probably where the Holy Spirit dwells and mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit does actually. Um, unite our heads and our hearts, right? And help us to think things through differently and do them differently. And all that's really important for yeah. us also. So, And it's good. Like all of that was so that um, you would be able to discern, and this is verse 10, discern what is best and maybe pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And I, yeah. I loved your point on this, that pure and blameless, and it's not just for my sake, but it's also for the sake of of others, right? So it's That's not correct. This is we want to think through this and be kind of a, as Nine's talking about that our love would abound more and be full of knowledge and depth of insight, and and so that it's for the benefit of others right now, but it's also for our benefit right now and for what is to come in the future. I thought that that was just a really good point to pull out that it's, hey, we're doing this not 
just so that we don't cause others to stumble, but so we don't stumble ourselves. I thought that was a really good point to draw out there. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, and, and really, again, this book is kind of, it's praising the, the good qualities that the Philippians yeah, have, right. right? Like this is kind of going, man, good job, Philippians, which is refreshing to read because when you read a book like First or Second Corinthians, specifically First, you're like, oh man, they really got it jacked up. Yeah, that's right. You read this book and there's an encouragement in that. That's really, that's right. Really good to hear. So there um, is, there is one thing just to sort of, I guess, you know, put it out there too. Um, Paul is hinting at some stuff in this book because there is actually, yeah. um, there is a problem that's going to surface in chapter four that's where right. these two women, Yudia and Syntyche, who are co-laborers of Christ, he calls them. And yeah, but but they're not really getting along, and yeah. So I mean, there's, there is, there's there is not a, much said about it, right? Like it's yeah, just not like, much. Hey, you should agree in the Lord, and then yeah. it like, moves on. Yeah, that's right. But but it's interesting because most commentators would say that um, as Paul is talking about slaves, there's a subtle hint there. Hey, you should be serving each other, and mm. as he's talking about good relationships and how they've okay. been partners, he's sort of hinting, Hey, you should be taking care of each other, and so mm. so there's another way of reading like having a lens on this Philippian passage okay. that Paul is actually trying to get to that point because one of the things he wants to do is encourage these two women to actually begin to get along and because mm. they are partners and he actually calls them their his co-workers in the gospel. Right. So right. there's this sense of partnership they have, but but they've begun to sort of dispute among each other. And yeah. I think again that's a that's a good thing for us to think about as a church because yeah. A lot of times we get into those disputes, right? Or we yeah, have somebody right. who says, hey, I really think you should do it this way. And, you know, but but the reality is how are we humbly, you know, actually ministering to each other? How are yeah. we humbly listening to each other? How are we building each other up in love? And how are we helping the fruit of the spirit, which is joy to be, you know, obvious in our gathering as well? So yeah, all those things are really important too. That's good. Um, so looking at it, I, I really just wanted to kind of the last thing that I had written down was I wanted to talk through um, uh, your three takeaway points, uh, just kind of revisit them and see if there's anything you wanted to add and see, um, and then just kind of go from there. So the three takeaway points that I put down, um, you said Paul's prayer is really brief, but it's profound. And you kind of the takeaways were to live out, uh, live out our lives as pointing to Jesus and then also ask yourself, what are you thankful for today? And then we can be confident in God. But did I get that right? Was was those yeah, three, you did. your takeaways? Okay, just want yeah, to make sure that yeah, I didn't absolutely. change yeah. your verbiage or anything. But yeah, so anything in that of those three takeaways and or any final thoughts in that? Well, I would say that, um, in fact, one of the things I thought about was that this prayer of Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 actually isn't a bad prayer for us to pray regularly. I, I don't know if, if people have ever done this, but I have. I've actually taken Paul's prayers out of the New Testament. And um, like if you look in Ephesians, you'll find that there's a prayer there for them, all kinds of prayers for them. Um, Philippians has this prayer. But but maybe actually take this prayer out of Philippians 1, 9 through 11 and actually pray it. You know, um, here he says, this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what's best so that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and, and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. So I think sometimes um, 
you know, we're, we're a little bit worried about written prayers, but this mm. is scripture, you know? And so yeah. maybe this is something that you could actually sit down, pray this, you know, this mm. next week, pray it every day and just see how God works through that and what God does in your life. So, yeah. so I think again that, you know, yeah, this is a sort of brief in a little introductory prayer. It's a brief introductory passage to the book of Philippians, but it is profound because yeah. Paul is really saying, Hey, listen, there's, there's a lot here that you can glean and get out of. So, so I would say that that might be, you know, one of the practices this week is just, yeah, you know, if you have time, take some time to actually just pray that prayer. Yeah, that's good. Good. Um, well, any, any other thoughts or comments? Uh, I don't know anything that you didn't quite get to, or um, just kind of is, is on your mind right now that you wanted to share. Yeah. Let me just say one more thing. Just um, I think that here's the message of Philippians one, six. Um, that Christ who began a good work in you mm. will bring it to completion. Mm. And so um, I think that that was the thing for me personally that I got out of the message this week, you know, mm. as I'm preparing, I'm also saying, hey, God, speak to me. How do I, you know, how do I understand this? That we can be confident that whatever God has started in our life, yeah. God will finish. Yeah. And um, and I think about that even in terms of, um you know, our CR people, celebrate recovery people. But I think about that in terms of our whole church body, that, um, that God is, is not just somebody who starts something and then walks away, but God actually starts stuff in us and then God completes it in us. So, so whatever it is you're feeling today, man, if you're feeling like, Oh gosh, you know, I'm not sure where I'm at. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sure who I'm supposed to be. Just be conscious of this fact that, that Christ who began this good work in you is not going to desert you or walk yeah. away from that, but Christ will bring that to its completion in the day of Christ. And that's Paul's promise to us. And I think it's also what Paul bases his life on, that yeah. he knows that this very thing that God has started in him, that Christ has started in him, God will bring that to completion as well. Yeah. So, so that could be good news for us this week. Yeah, that's so good. And, God is not an ADD kid that he starts something and then moves on. Yeah, that's just right. There is yeah, confidence. that's good. Yeah, that's it's abound, good. abounding in the fact that what God has started, he'll complete. And I think that that does bring comfort. So, amen. Well, amen. Gary, thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for those that are listening, whether you're listening via podcast or you're listening to us Facebook Live or YouTube Live. Um, thanks for joining us. We know that yeah. you don't have to spend this time with us, but we hope that you are really. Uh, encouraged by it and also that you grow in your knowledge of who Christ is and what he would challenge you with. Uh, Just a reminder, as always, if you have questions that you would like us to answer, whether that has to do with the message series that we're currently on or just questions in general, we'd love to hear from you. You can just email those questions to overtime at clcfamily.church. Try and make sure that we look at them every week. So if you've got a question, feel free to send that in. We love when there's interaction. You help kind of dictate what we talk about and kind of the direction that we go. So feel free to send those in. Again, I'll just mention that if you have any needs right now during COVID-19, if there's anything that we can do as a church, please, by all means, let us know. Info at clcfamily.church, or you can call us at 610-869-2140. We'd love to help out in any way that we can. So we thank you guys. We really appreciate you joining us today and hope that you guys will have a blessed week and we will see you over the weekend next week for overtime. God bless you. Bye. Thank you.